Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, today is going to be a little bit different Sunday. I want to talk a little bit, and then I'm going to invite some friends to come up and help me talk some more. Then I'm going to come back and, and close us out. Uh, I have been so excited about this Sunday for weeks. I have just felt in my spirit that the Lord is wanting to heal some people today. If you walked in and there is brokenness in your life, I believe this is the day that God could heal your life. Not because of what I'm saying or what anyone else says, but because of, I think the Lord's going to birth some hope and give you the courage and the confidence to lean into His power and His presence this morning. If you will do that, you will never be disappointed. Today I'm talking about, we're praying bold prayers this month. And today our prayer is, Lord, take us from brokenness to restoration. All of us at some point are going to experience brokenness. You cannot live good enough to escape it. Brokenness will find you in church. It will find you out of church. Brokenness will find those who are, who are single, and it will find those who are smack dab in the middle of the largest family on earth. Brokenness has a way of coming to us. So today I want to talk about how to, how to go from brokenness to restoration because as much as, as heartbreaking as brokenness is, restoration is beautiful. Right? Don't you love to see God restore people, marriages, families? I, I, I don't know, but I love to see sometimes. I, I'm, kind of a, I'm kind of a pushover for restored cars. You ever seen a car that's been restored? When I was a kid, my best friend lived across the street from us, and his dad restored old cars. And without permission, I actually went to my best friend's dad's Facebook page and snapped his picture off Facebook. I do not have any rights to him. I have thoroughly just using my buddy's dad's picture this morning. But to let you know, those, those are the kind of cars. He, for all my life, he, I'd go across the street, and there was Mr. Paul working on these cars. Looked like a mess. Looked like a mess. But within days, he would take me and my buddy for a ride in what once was a torn apart mess. Can I tell you, God can turn our messes into masterpieces. He can do that. And God loves to restore people. I love, I don't love the story of Job. When I read Job's story, I'm like, Lord, don't let it happen to me. But you know, as horrible as Job's story is there in the middle the Bible says at the end of Job's life that God what? Restored multitudes times over what he had lost. There's a man in the Bible named Hezekiah who was told he was going to, to die. But the Lord restored his health and gave him years more. Psalms 23, which most of us could quote I find such meaning from where the psalmist says he restores soul no one can restore us like God because he doesn't just fix the things around my life he restores my soul and Daniel we find out that God can even restore those with mental health issues there was a king who, went, who was mad in his mind, but God restored his mind. And in Joel chapter 2, here's the uh, verse I want to jump into this morning before we invite our friends to come. Joel 2, chapter, uh, verse 25 says this, I will restore, or repay, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm." My great army that I sent among you, we, see, we serve a God who restores. 
And I read Joel 2 and 25. That, that is such a powerful scripture to me personally because it says, I will restore or I will repay what the locust has eaten. And this morning, what, what we have discovered, brokenness is sort of a modern day word for locust. Brokenness does the same thing to us that the locust did to the people of God in these days. Locusts would eat everything around them. Locusts seem like a small threat. Have you ever seen a picture of a locust? I mean, look at them. They're small. And can I tell you, brokenness usually enters our life through something small. A small decision, a small choice, a small compromise. It enters in some way that says it's no big deal. They seem like big threats, but they have huge, huge consequences left unchecked. Here's the second thing about locusts this morning and sin in general. Is it turns fruitfulness into desolation. I've got a picture of an ear of corn that was touched by locusts. I'm not sure if you can see it on the screen, but what was ripe is now robbed of the benefit because of locusts. Sin is sneaky. Compromise is sneaky. There's thought processes that give way to inviting locusts to wreak havoc or allowing sin to wreak havoc in our life. Some of those statements that you can tell locusts are coming to someone's life is when they say things like this, I can handle it. Or it's no big deal. Or God understands. Or it's no one's business. Or I know the Bible says, but. Anytime you hear someone say, I know the Bible says, but. They're opening the door for locusts to come in. Here's the third thing I want to talk to you about locusts and brokenness, how it comes to our lives, is that we don't get to decide what locusts consume. Most of us lead compartmentalized lives. We have our work life and our church life. We have our family life and our, our pleasure, our hobby life. And we think the two things never meet. I've even heard people use the word, well, she's my work wife. What a dangerous phrase. We think, well, one thing doesn't touch the other. But here's the thing about compromise. It doesn't, it's, never, it's never relegated to just one part of our life. And we don't get to choose whether this act of compromise in this area is going to affect that area or not. You say, well, this is just my business. It has nothing to do with my family. It has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with those around me. No, no, no. Sin comes in and it goes where it wants to go. It harms where it wants to harm. And you and I don't get a vote in the process. And locusts work, here's another thing about locusts, is they work until everything is consumed. James 1 says, but each one is tempted by his own evil desire, is dragged away and enticed, and after desires can conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brother. That, that's, that's how compromise and sin works in our life. That's how, that's how many of us end up in brokenness, because we'd have made one decision, one small choice, and what we thought was relegated to one thing, what we thought was what was stuck in private becomes public. What we thought only affected us affects many. What we thought no one knew, everyone knows. It, it, it affects so much. But God tells people, He tells His people, that through repentance, though everything has been devastated by sometimes our own choices, He says, I can restore You know what happens? Sometimes we get on the top of life. Like we're on top, right? We think there's nothing that could ever steal what I have. 
Like we almost seem invincible. But then the locusts of life come, and we think just the opposite. We're unrecoverable. When neither is true. Even when life seems destitute, and everything seems consumed, even then, God says, I can restore what the locusts have stolen from you. In just a minute, I want to talk to you about a few steps that I think God can, that we can follow the Lord and make room for Him to restore the broken places in our life. But before I do that, I want to invite uh, some of our friends to come. I want to invite Trevor and Amanda Miller. They're going to come and, and speak with us this morning. Would you just make them feel welcome to the platform this morning? These guys know what it's like to have the locusts come to their house. Is that right? Oh, yeah. They know what it's like to see everything that looks beautiful go to a place where everything becomes destitute, gone. And I've asked them to uh, share their story with us this morning. Uh, they've been a part of our church for, what, five years, six years now? Six years, and uh, you know, I always, I've, I've shared the story about y'all's first Sunday so many times, I won't share it again, but you guys are always a reminder of me that God will forgive me for being uh, less than smart at times, but uh, I want to ask you guys, would you just begin to, uh, to share with us your story, how God has taken y'all from brokenness to restoration, from locust-eaten life to fruitfulness once again. The enemy tried to uh, attack your marriage, but you guys have, have uh, seen the Lord faithful through it. So thanks for sharing today. Uh, thank you, uh, Pastor. Thank you, church family, for being here today to, uh, to witness our testimony. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, I'm Trevor Miller, and this is my wife, Amanda Miller. And for those of you that do know my wife, um, she has always said that it would take an act of God to get her up in front of this church. <laughs> and so I guess in that aspect, she's always been right. Um, however, I will say um, that I'd be lying if I, uh, if I said that I was, you know, completely calm, cool, and collected up here in front of you guys as really this whole entire week, I think our nerves have kind of gotten the best of us both. Um, but it's for a good reason. Um, you see, we're going to tell you guys of our testimony today. And it's two sides of the same story, but the common goal is restoration. Uh, we feel like that our testimony is something that needs to be shared because you can never truly tell uh, what somebody's going through, what a family's going through, what an individual person is going through. Because a lot of times we don't wear dirty laundry to church. We don't put out on Facebook, hey, look at my bad day. Um, we, don't, we don't want others to see that stuff, right? Because sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's, it's hurtful. Sometimes it angers us. Um, and so with that being said, we're going to get into it here. We can all agree that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We hear this often within the church and read about it in the Word in John 10.10. 10. It's the truth, but the truth hits differently when it's affecting you. It becomes personal. You see, Satan was after our marriage from the start and our family. When Trevor and I got married, we agreed divorce was not an option. We were just two 20, 22-year-olds hopeful for a future in starting a family. Eleven years into our marriage, I found myself finally surrendering to how unhappy, empty, and flat our marriage was. I thought this couldn't be what forever is with him. I was giving my all, but feeling exhausted and depleted. I was praying, showing up at church, and doing daily devotionals with the kids, but still felt hopeless, as if I was hanging on by a thread. I felt like Trevor and I were roommates with a common goal of raising our kids. I remember thinking, this can't be what marriage is supposed to be like. Marriage shouldn't feel this empty. I shouldn't be fighting this hard and feel so broken. I vividly remember calling my mom up in 2021 and admitting out loud for the first time that divorce had crossed my mind which was something that I declared wouldn't be an option as a 20-year-old. 
but the thought was on my mind as a 31-year-old. I was exhausted, burnt out physically and mentally, and at this point, I was broken spiritually. I had been carrying the role of being the spiritual leader of my family and was angry that my husband wasn't stepping up. I craved praying together, and when it was brought up that I wanted to pray together, he would say, I am just not an emotional person. God knew my desires and began to move. While praying together isn't the focus of this testimony, it was a pivotal shift toward restoration. We were out and about shopping together one day and ended up running into a man at Marshall's. A casual conversation was initiated with him over, you won't believe it, a Detroit Lions beanie nonetheless. God knew how to get Trevor's attention. This stranger asked us a very specific question that we will never forget. He asked us if we prayed together. Both taken back by his question, we responded in shock and in honesty. We replied no, but we knew we needed to. I kept quiet mostly because I knew I wanted nothing more but to pray together. I listened as Trevor spoke and took ownership that it was mostly him as the reason we don't pray together. And he continued with shame in his voice. I know now that was conviction placed within him. The man ended up asking if he could pray over us and we happily accepted. This gave me a glimpse of hope that God was moving. Time went on and praying together just didn't seem to stick. There was a wall. I could feel it. I was chasing, running after God, but felt depleted because I felt such an overwhelming drag to keep going back to pull Trevor alongside me. I was growing in God and felt he was being left behind. I felt I was playing a game of tug of war with my family's walk in faith. And again, hanging on by a thread, pulling the rope and making ground, but losing grip because my teammate wasn't doing his part. Satan was pulling harder and I was getting worn out and my rope was frayed. Again, I was physically exhausted, mentally torn and spiritually broken. I laid in bed crying out of desperation. I called upon God for what was gonna be the last time. I remember stating to God, I can't do this anymore. I have been praying for him, for our marriage and our family for 11 years. And that if this is the husband I am to be with forever, I can't keep up. I can't carry the burden of being the spiritual leader alone. My kids have a, no male spiritual leader. My dad has passed. And my husband isn't stepping up. So I will do what I can, but I need you to fill in where I can't. I really need you to step in, God. See, little did she know at this time that God was working on me. I just didn't communicate it with her at this time, but I also felt that our marriage was broken and it was beyond a restoration at this point. I was just way too stubborn to admit this out loud to anybody, let alone to my wife. You see, I, I felt like I was grasping at straws too, trying to make anything work for us. But the more that I grasped, the more my marriage slipped through my fingertips. I was starting to run out of time. I was broken and I was at rock bottom. And one morning in my car before work, I went to God. I was desperate. I knew the best thing that ever happened to me, I was fixing to lose. I knew that I needed to be better for my family. And I needed to be better for my marriage. One day I broke down and here in a minute, I'll kind of explain how we got to this point and all the events that led up to that day. But I really started to lean heavier into God. I started trusting him more with a lot, but not quite everything just yet. That took a lot of struggling internally, but I did start to change. And I was happy with some of my growth, but I also still felt like something was missing. Something was preventing my wife and I from growing even further in Christ. And that something was secrets and lies. As time went on slowly but surely, I felt a shift, not knowing that shift was because Trevor was opening up to God. Trevor began helping around the house more. He seemed more genuine and compassionate, supportive, communicative, and even willing to pray together. He was more vocal in stating his appreciation for everything that I do for our family. He was helping with household chores with an eagerness and not grumbling. He started doing the dishes consecutively, asking if I needed anything. 
He seemed to have a new spark about him. I couldn't place my finger on it. Little did I know he had been talking to God. This change had been happening for a good six months. God was giving me a glimpse of what a godly husband looked like. Little did I know that there was a deeper reason for this. God needed me to see who Trevor was and who he could be in him because I was about to have confirmation of who he had been. I had always had my suspicions, but was never presented with the truth. Do you guys know that you can't build your marriage on secrets? It's something that I wish that I would have stuck to. Because I couldn't be who God intended me to be while I was holding on to these secrets. See, Amanda didn't know this yet, but I deadened our marriage before it had an opportunity to even get off the ground. Then the first three years of our marriage, I had two separate affairs. I was a terrible person. I felt a tremendous amount of guilt and shame for it. But I swallowed my guilt, and I tried to bury it as far down as I could, thinking that it wasn't going to affect me or us or my family. Or so I thought and convinced myself. See, I was just convincing myself of a lie because my actions and these secrets were, in fact, killing our marriage, slowly strangling the life out of it. Fast forward to a few years, and we're living in Alaska at this point, and all I'm doing is trading one sin for another, as at this point in my life, I'm pretty much turning to pornography. Even though I knew how, much it was, how wrong it was, how much it bothered her, and just how disgusting it was in general. But I tried to convince myself that it was better than at least physically cheating. And I did eventually give it up. And I was proud that I gave it up. But at some point, as what happens when we don't live the life that we're called to live by God, the enemy wriggled his way back in. And we were living in Arkansas at this point, and I'm right back onto pornography again. You see, at this point in my life, I didn't realize it, but I'm just running from my problems. I was disgusted in myself with who I was and who I was becoming. And because of this, I began to drink very, very heavily. I just tried to escape emotionally, and I used a lot of excuses to drink. Oh, it's Friday night. Let's get some drinks. I'm going to drink. As time went on, my life really started to fall apart, and I felt like I had lost complete control of everything in my life. Much like Amanda stated, her and I started feeling like roommates, not like a loving and a husband and wife. She felt the conviction and she pleaded that we started doing the things that God called us to do. I didn't want to hear it. I felt like she was attacking me. She called out my sin, and I started viewing her as competition. This caused a much bigger divide in us. And like I stated before, I was driving to work one morning after a very, very long, very rough weekend. And I got to work, and I just felt completely numb. I didn't know what to do. I knew... Everything that I had in front of me that I wanted, I was losing. Instantly, I just broke down. I started crying in my car, and I prayed to God. And I remember asking him, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to fix all of the brokenness in my life. I can't do this myself. And in that moment, the words that I, have ne I will never forget for the rest of my life, I heard, I will restore your family, but you have to come clean. Hearing this, I argued with God. I said, why now, God? It's been 11 years. Isn't there anything else I can do? Mind you, this was nearly six months before I told her any of what I just told you all today. But that was one small step in my journey, in our journey towards restoration. You see, truth be told, even the day that I did tell her about this, I almost didn't, and that's because the enemy got in my head again. We had just dropped our children off at school, and we had to go to Walmart because I needed to buy dog food. And I normally park in the back of Walmart because I, got, I had a nicer expedition at the time, and I didn't want nobody to park next to it. I don't like door dings. I don't like scratches. People don't put their carts back, you know. <laughs> and so I always park at the end of the parking lot. Well, I walked in, I got the dog food, and I felt God tell me in the store, today's the day. This is the day you do it. So here I am walking what felt like 47 miles back out to my car with 50 pounds of dog food on my shoulder, and I'm just arguing with God at this point. Do I really need to do this today? Will she ever know if I don't tell her? 
And I realize now that's the enemy. That was the enemy trying to get into my head, trying to get me to stop doing what God had called me to do. What's, not, what's funny but not so funny about this whole thing was uh, I threw the food in the back of the car, I closed the hatch, and then I got in the car, and I instantly just word vomited everything I just told you. And I did that because I knew that if I had given it any time, I wouldn't have been strong enough to do what God called me to do. Plain and simple, I wasn't strong enough in that moment. And I will never forget that car ride back from Walmart. I felt like there was, we hit every red light on the way home. There was so many people on the road that day, and it was just tension the entire way. But we pulled into the, the driveway. We got uh, out of the car. She asked me a bunch of questions. She grabbed the keys, and she left. And at that point, I'm thinking to myself, well, God, she knows. I did what you asked. It's in your hands now. That was a really hard conversation and one that I didn't expect because when he went into Walmart, <clears throat> there was a Bible on the dash, and I picked it up. And uh, I was reading it, and he had come clean to some, if you want to scale things, some things lesser to that. And um, I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do here? And I felt like God told me that I needed to forgive him. So all the while, God's speaking to him in Walmart, speaking to me, and I'm thinking I'm forgiving him of these small things. And he gets in the car, and I'm ready, you know, to be like, okay, I, I want to work on this. I forgive you. And before I could even say those words, I heard basically, so you know, you've asked me a couple times and I've told you no, but I've had two affairs. And then for me, after hearing the truth, I saw black. I was angry, bitter, and hurt. So many emotions flooded over me. Once we got home, I asked the typical who, when, what, why, not um, being able to see him for anything other than his confession. I got in the car and was on my way to grab my kids from school, check them out, and never look back. Um, you see, back when we got married, we said divorce was never an option, unless one of us cheated. This was the ultimate betrayal, and I was done. I was a mess and missed my turn on Lincoln Street and ended up at the Big Red, which is now Circle K. Intending to turn around, I pulled into the parking spot and I finally just started to cry. And I remember asking God out of desperation, what am I supposed to do? There is no coming back from this. I heard God say, you haven't tried doing this with me. You're merely acting on your own emotions right now. I remember having kind of a bratty attitude about what God said, almost like, okay, we'll see about that. I saw my marriage is over, and I had no hope left in my marriage. What I did have, though, was my faith in God. I never doubted that God could see me through this ultimate betrayal. I just didn't expect God to move like he did. You see, about 35 minutes later, she pulls into the driveway, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, here we go. It's about to happen. Well, fast forward about two days, right? So this was on a Friday. This coming Sunday, after that, after I just dropped this, these big bombs in my wife's lap, we both knew that regardless of the outcome that happened to our marriage, that it was important that we were here. So we have four beautiful children, and regardless of what happened between us, they weren't going to be affected. The old me, and maybe even us at that moment, uh, we, we probably would have used it as an excuse to not show up to church that day, just plain and simple. And I don't think a lot of people would have probably blamed us. But we both decided it was important, so we went. Mind you, neither one of us have slept since Friday afternoon either. And I'll never forget that morning because my wife was actually working in the nursery, and I came down here. And after church, my wife came up to me, and she said, Hey, Pastor Dave came up to me today and asked if we want to work on the church's Christmas parade float together. And Amanda has a kind of joke about this, but she said in that moment to herself, like, really, God? Like, you want us to work on something for the church, but we can't even fix our own marriage? After church, I wasn't expecting her to say a word to me, so when she dropped that on me, I was just hopeful, and I was full of gratitude. I was like, hey, at least she's entertaining the idea of wanting to work with me, and she doesn't want to bury me in the backyard. So not only did we work together on that Christmas parade float, but some of you guys may remember that that parade float won first place. 
So it was, it was unexpected, but again, it was a glimpse of how awesome God is. I was also hoping that we would win because uh, she's competitive and I needed all the brownie points I could get at this point. And I didn't realize it at the, at the minute in that moment, but this was the start of God working in our marriage. You see, he was showing us that when you're obedient, I show up. Something very amazing happened during this time. I wholly surrendered myself to God. You see, up to this point, I had came clean with everything, but I was still hesitant. I still felt that I was unworthy of God's love, that I was too far gone to be saved, that there was no way God could, someone use, could use someone like me. Stop me if this all sounds familiar, right? It's what the enemy wants you to believe when you've done something wrong. During a particular ugly cry session on my bathroom floor, I surrendered myself to God and he picked me up off the floor. He told me in that moment that he left the 99 to find me. This was a foreign concept to me, but I finally understood. I was covered in mud. I wasn't useful to anybody. But God saw the good. He picked me up out of the mud and he washed me clean and he welcomed me home. Amen. At this point, I had all the reassurance from God that I need. This told me he's going to restore my family. Something that I didn't mention before, but this was an obvious moment in our lives that God was working. Seeing this breakthrough with God as a Christian was amazing. I mean, this is what I had been praying for. On the other hand, I found myself condescendingly thinking to myself, it's a little late for this God. I needed him to surrender years ago. I struggled with the, why did you let this happen? Why, ha, you had the power to stop him. I was angry, but I was also resilient. I started to look at how hard the enemy was coming for my family. I knew regardless of my emotions, I needed to keep leaning into God. I knew I couldn't save my marriage or my family, but God could. We both decided that God is what we needed more than anything, even if we didn't feel like it, because let's be honest, there was a lot of hards that we were experiencing, and sometimes we don't want to go to God, but we know it's what we need to do. We began praying together more than we ever have. We saw the power of prayer, and we were using it as a weapon against the enemy. I found myself watching this new Trevor. He came off, up off the bathroom floor differently. I found hope in our marriage, a new spark for him. Satan kept showing up every time God showed out. We were being restored in divine time. I kept thinking, this isn't normal. I should hate him. I realized the love I had for him was because of God being in him. Satan wanted me to question the quick restoration of God. I kept thinking, we shouldn't be laughing with each other. We shouldn't already have this spark. Satan wanted me to believe there was some sort of time cap on healing. He wanted Trevor to fixate on his guilt and keep us both in a place of depression on how we should still feel completely and utterly broken. I quickly realized that our marital restoration was solely derived from the divine intervention of God. It was not meant for our understanding. In those moments, I also began calling out our doubts and the disbelief in those moments. I began asking myself, are we really going to be praying for restoration from God on one hand and then stepping back and questioning how quickly God is moving? Mm -hmm. Satan really tried his hardest at stealing God's glory and our joy in those moments. Even though I was pressing into God, I kept asking God, why did you wait so long for him to come clean? Again, I was reminded how things are done in his timing. I was questioning the feelings of being alone and abandoned for so long. But I heard him say one day, so clearly, my child, I waited so you would not be taken from me. You see, looking back, I can now see that God was with me from the start. He never left me alone. God knew he was going to have Trevor come clean to me. He sinned. It was going to be in his perfect timing, though. Satan thought he had our family, but God's plan was bigger. God not only had my husband confess to me 
what he did, but he did it in such perfect timing. God waited for him to come clean at a time when my faith would not be shaken so that I wouldn't lose my faith. He waited where he knew I would be able to forgive. God deemed me as his, and he was strategically fighting for me the whole time. I was praying and fighting for my family. Not only did God ensure I didn't lose my faith in all of this, through Trevor's obedience, God's grace, and God's grace, my husband was saved. Not only did God not lose me, but he also gained Trevor and rebuilt our marriage on his truth. We belong to God, and he was also playing tug-of-war with Satan. Since Trevor has let go of these secrets, two of our four children have been baptized. I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're about to celebrate our 14th wedding anniversary, the second one since his confessions. And our walk with God is stronger than ever. You see, he took what was meant for broken, and he used it for his good. Praise God. While we have received blessings, the truth is, it has still been hard. We are still playing a game of tug-of-war. But the difference is, we are united now. We know Satan will continue to tug, but we have a stronger rope. It's no longer on the verge of breaking. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Satan wanted me to think my rope was being frayed, and the fact that I was hanging on by a thread was that, that there was no hope God reminded me that hope was present in me hanging on by a thread. The fact that anyone still chooses to hang on when all that's left is a thread is right where your faith starts. Amen. Now, please don't, don't think that we're sitting up here today saying that, you know, we don't struggle. Okay? We're married. We still struggle. We still have differing opinions on certain things. But the key here is, and what my wife said, is that we're united in that struggle. We recognize when the enemy is trying to turn us against each other. Truth be told, even before we came up here, uh, we met with Pastor Greg two months ago, probably two months ago at this point, and he said, hey, I got this awesome message that I'm going to preach to the church in January, and I would love for you guys to be part of it. From that point on, I think doubts and shame and guilt for me started kicking in. But I just kept telling myself, and even with helpful reminders from Pastor Greg and my wife, Satan doesn't want this message out. He doesn't want people to know that you can have restoration. He tried to convince us, even as much as three weeks ago, we had a decent argument. He even tried to fill us with doubt and, and made us question. We even said this in our prayers when we recognized it in the moment was that Satan was trying to make us think that we were not near the level of restoration to be able to, to be up here in front of you guys today. We are here today to tell you that with God, all things are possible. Yeah. We can be forgiven of our sins, but it doesn't mean that we're free from those consequences of those sins. Staying isn't easy. Divorce isn't easy. What made staying bearable was that Trevor surrendered himself to God. What I fell in love with again after the betrayal wasn't my husband. What attracted me to him was his love for God, was his service to God. Over time, my desire to stay overpowered my urge to leave. I didn't stay on my strength, but through the grace of God, he gave me the strength I needed. God brought our marriage back to life. I have chosen to forgive Trevor, but I will say this. I have found a new found I have found a new understanding of what forgiveness is. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a daily choice to give someone a clean slate, just as God forgives us each day new. We are no longer a family that is easily overpowered. We stand firm on our solid solid foundation. Satan wanted our family he pulled hard, but God gave us the option to strengthen our rope. Secrets will fray your rope one thread at a time until there's nothing left to hold on to. Satan wants your marriage and your family. A marriage can't be built on secrets, no matter how big or small. The truth will set you free. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open.
Praise God. Y'all just let them know your appreciation for sharing this morning. got two more things I want to do. First, I want to give you a few just takeaways from Scripture and from their story. First off, restoration always begins by coming to the Lord. Joel chapter 2, where we took our our text from, says, return to me with all your heart. Before God gives the promise that I'll restore everything the locusts took away, He says before that verse, he says, return to me with all your heart. Second, Scripture says we have to expose our secrets. God cannot heal what we hide. You don't get healed in secret. You hide in secret. They just refer to James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another so you can experience healing. Third, when you need restoration, lean into a church family. It's, uh, it's always the lonely sheep that gets devoured by the lion. Number four, give, rude, give room for proving. Trevor and Amanda, this is a, uh, this is a, this testimony began two years ago. When Trevor and I first, when he first told me this for the first time, it was two years ago. So there's been two years of them proving, giving room, producing, um, producing evidence. Number five, I would admonish you if you want restoration to establish guardrails. A lot of their testimony they cut out for Tom's sake today, but they would tell you that they have established guardrails um, that they used to not have. One, one of the things we've talked about, which Megan and I have the same thing, there's no such thing as your phone and my phone, right? It's just, it's just a phone, and any of us have permission to grab it any time. Those are just guardrails we put in place. Uh, no more secrets. There's guardrails. Matthew 3 says it like this, to produce fruit with repentance. Put into work things that show that repentance was not something I did two years ago or ten years ago. Repentance is something we walk out every single day. And I think these guys have done a great job by letting you know that what God has done for them, He can do for you. Megan, if you'll come. Your situation is not hopeless. It is not beyond restoration. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And if you're here today and you need the restoration of God in your life, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for two reasons. Number one, I want to know to pray for you. Number two, I'm going to ask Trevor and Amanda to look with me so they can see that their testimony has helped someone else evaluate and reach out for hope today. And so this morning, whether you need restoration in a marriage, in a family, in a, in a, maybe it's a broken relationship with a son or daughter or a friend, whatever you, but you say, I need the restoration of God in my life. And this testimony today has given me hope to believe that God would do it for me. Would you just lift your hand real quick and pray for me? All across this room, there's people. In the balcony, on the floor. I know there's people connecting with us online today as well. So I want to pray for you today. I want to ask Corey and Jacob to come ahead and join me on the platform as well. Father, I pray this morning for every person lifted a hand. They, they're declaring they need the help of Jesus. They need what is broken to be restored. Father, you restored Job, Lord, you didn't give me back what he lost. You gave him more than what he lost. You gave 
Hezekiah years to his life. You gave a king wisdom where there had been mental health issues. Lord, you redeemed all of us who were lost to where we're now found. God, I pray that over every person lifted their hand. I pray that over Trevor and Amanda. You will continue to use them in wonderful ways. Don't just restore what they lost, God. We believe the best is yet to come. Give them multitude times over anything that was lost and everything that was lost. And I pray that out of this Sunday, there will be a multitude of testimonies of redemptive work that you're starting, Jesus, in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask these two men to come to the platform. And Trevor, would you share your mic with uh, Jacob? And I've asked these guys, it takes, how many know it takes guts to stand up here? And... So these are two of our men's leaders, and I've just asked them to affirm Trevor and Amanda this morning. Absolutely. Last week, when I heard pastors say that y'all were going to share your testimony, I just... This is not something I normally do, but I immediately open my phone and I put a reminder in it every night to pray for y'all and for who is going to be here. That's how much I believe in the power of this testimony. You know, if you know me well enough, then you know James 5.16, which spoke up here. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and you will be healed. And what better example of this, right? Something that the enemy tried to convince you if you would just bury it, right? If you bring it up, it's going to destroy everything that I've given you. And then Romans 8, 28 just swoops right in and says, not today, right? He says, I am a God that works all things together for the good of those who love me. And what better way to show God's love than to give a testimony that doesn't glorify either of you, right? It glorifies God. So thank you. Love y'all. Yeah, first of all, I just uh, wanted to say thank you to Amanda for those years of obedience that you had. It was just building you up for that moment. And if you wouldn't have had that obedience, where could this be now? So thank you for that. Thank you. I'm sure Trevor is indebted to you for that as well. Um, whenever Trevor was uh, talking about leaving the 99 to come for him, it's just the, the prodigal son is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, but it was also just reminding me there's, a, there's the father, there's the son, but there's a third person in that, that story as well. There's another son that is bitter when the, uh, the son is getting forgiven and giving things back. So if, if that's somebody out there, if, if, you, if someone is asking forgiveness of you and you're not willing to give that to them, that's the gift for you. That was the gift for Amanda. That the forgiveness is for you. Find that in your heart to forgive that person so you can, you can move on uh, in your life as well. I also want to say thank you to both of them for during this time, obviously, it came to light. They spoke with, we're in connect group together. They spoke about it. But prior to that, they were still going through this hard time. They still came to connect group every single time. They were still here on Sundays and Wednesdays. They were, st they were still serving in the church. They were still bringing their kids to the church. They were still super involved in the church, even though they were going through so many things, even though they felt stale, even though they felt like they were going to get divorced. They still came here. So thank you to every one of you that have the overflow that was pouring into them during that time as well. Because I live off that overflow of some of you guys sometimes as well. So thank, so thank you for that. Lastly, there's specific prayers that these two have prayed in our connect group during that struggle, hard, specific prayers for other people, neighbors that they had that were inching towards Christ. And these, these guys were going through the depths of their, their, their worst moments in their marriage, and they were still wanting to pray over other people to find Jesus. Man, this is what it's all about. Thank you for forgiving him. Thank you for confessing something that maybe would have never been found out. We're all sorry when we get caught. Everybody's sorry. It's easy to be sorry when you get caught. You got caught. 
takes a real man, a real husband, a real leader to come with their sins before your spouse, before God, when it, it might not have been out there. So that, that means a lot to me. Someone out there needed to hear this today. You either need to confess or you either need to forgive. It, the, their, their testimony is not for them. They know it. Just like that forgiveness is not for the person asking for it, it's for you. The testimony is for one of y'all. So hear it today and, and do what you need to do with it. Thank y'all. So our last, our last act today is I want you as a church to pray for Trevor. Where are you going? You can't run away, dude. Um, I, think, uh, I think the way to steward their story is for us to pray for them. So would you stretch your hands towards them? Because I say it all the time. I believe for you guys, the best is yet to come. Amen. So, Father, we pray over this couple as a church. God, we thank you for where you brought them. We thank you, Lord, for their willingness to share so that we can be encouraged and strengthened and edified and even hope provided for many in the room today. But, God, I'm also thankful for your taking them. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, as, as we used to say all the time, Lord, only the half has been told or imagined what God can do in them and through them. I pray their family flourishes in the presence of God. Use them mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Amen. Now, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. God is a God of restoration. If you're a first-time guest, I'm in the foyer when we leave. Have a wonderful day. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.